The Balut Kiki Project is a proud member of Bunk Collective. This Balut Kiki Project contains themes, depictions, and language of an adult and mature nature. Listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed in this project are not meant to replace the advice of professionals. Thank you. You're tuned into the Balut Kiki Project. It's another day. It's another project. I'm Maury, and you are tuned into the Balut Kiki Project. If this is your first time tuned into our podcast, welcome and super thank you. If this is not the first time you're tuning in, then you are probably wondering, who the hell am I? Uh, before we explain to you what's going on, don't forget to click on the follow, like, or subscribe button. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. I know you're very excited to listen to this project. This is the one about BDSM. But first, let me introduce you to my co-host for this episode, Chef. Hi, Maury. <laughs> Hi, oh. Bessies. Wow. Ah. Hello. Thank you, thank you very much for honoring our, our invitation. So let me just explain what's happening. Maury and I have been talking for a while. So he will be part of the Balut Kiki project. I'm very happy to announce on an on and off capacity. Because Maury has prior commitments. He has a life. And this is on top of him being a father, uh, a dad to twins and a husband. So yeah, busy si Maury. And um, I've known Maury for a very, very long time. We, we've known each other since college, Maury, right? Yes. Oh my God, yeah. So I, I don't even want to stamp it. But yes, <laughs> No, 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 no. No dates. It, but it, that's <laughs> suffice it to say, it seems, just seems like yesterday. Yes, so we met each yes. other back in Ateneo. Um, we were org mates. So we, we were part of Entablado, which was a performance arts organization in Ateneo. And mm-hmm. we worked together on a couple of productions. Yes, and, and at that time, uh, that theater production was also focused on social awareness so we were woke before woke was uh, a thing. even woke or even a term yeah yes woke <laughs> at that time yes yeah <laughs> uh, early early time pero ano to ha after martial law <laughs> <laughs> and um I know um you may be hearing Mori for the very first time, but we've been talking for a while now. And in fact, Mori and I have been conceptualizing a few other projects for the podcast. And also mga besties. And I specifically ask Mori for help on this particular episode because this is the episode, the one about BDSM, and I've had very little experience or very little exposure in the BDSM BDSM realm. My friend Mori here, on the other hand, <laughs> has been around the block, <laughs> has been around the BDSM block oh quite a God. few times. I have to so, clarify, yeah, sige, I have to clarify that it's, it's a New York block, but most of the experiences that I have happened when uh, I moved to the States years ago. And so, and if you compare it to, I thought I had like enough experience, but when you meet our guest, uh, it made me realize that maybe I don't have that much experience, but I'm, uh, it makes me feel like a novice. Yeah, that's that's right, Maury, that you bring that up because in doing this podcast, if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, we don't only talk about sex. We talk about mental health. We talk about non-traditional relationships. We talk about depression. We talk about suicide. The thing is that it's very, even for these other topics, it's very hard to find Filipinos 
to talk about these topics. Kasi nga, which is the exact reason why we're doing the podcast. There's a stigma. These topics are considered taboo. And the the, the purpose of this podcast is just to just normalize these conversations in in the Filipino discourse. Kasi parang there's nothing wrong. So, sino na na magkikwento sa atin tungkol sa BDSM? So, the only person that we could find was somebody from another country. And so, prior to getting this guest on, actually parang crash course ang nangyari mo <laughs> sa, sa guest natin right. na we prepared a lot of questions but there were some questions that we were not able to ask because what you cannot talk about this culture in just one hour diba? there's so much to right. talk about within the culture na there's only so much that you can talk about in an hour so it's probably nice to preface this episode by hearing what our experiences are as Filipinos when it comes to BDSM. Yes. So my experience is very, very limited. Nakwento ko to sa'yo, Mori. I was in a relationship or I dated the guy, very briefly dated the guy. He was a very, very good-looking Filipino-Japanese guy who was, in the, in the beginning, parang normal pretty vanilla yung relationship. So vanilla is parang normal, alright? Uh, normal mm-hmm. relationship. Or ni normal eh, because BDSM is not abnormal. It's traditional. A traditional right. relationship. So it started out pretty pretty traditional until nung itong Filipino-Japanese guy na to, he started confiding in me. Nung naging close na kami na may kink pala siya, Mori, na he wanted me to, ang kink niya was really, really, and this really caught me off guard. He wanted me to cut him tiny cuts mm-hmm. with razor blades. So I considered myself pretty pretty kinky and by kinky I mean like I've watched I probably watched a couple of porn flicks that involved non-traditional sex you know get my point pero I mean wala namang BDSM sa Pilipinas prior to the internet eh diba lahat ng experiences natin sa internet lang sa porn so sabi ko na parang I wasn't really into it so ang ginawa ko nun more is that I tried to substitute it with um, sabi ko okay so he's into pain and I'm not into inflicting pain I mean, I can probably grab somebody by the throat. There's no problem with that if that's what he wants. Consensual, of course, consensual. But I mean, cutting somebody with a razor blade is, I think, too much for me and seeing blood. So, ang ginawa ko nun was that I went to a hardware store and bought um, a dog collar, uh, wow. clothes pins, kung gusto niya ng pain, di lalagyan ko sa nipples niya or sa, sa balls oh, yeah. niya or wherever. And then, but then... Mm-hmm. It was not enough. He wanted me to cut him. And it that was when I realized na parang there's a problem here and it, it the relationship is not going to work. So that is my foray into the BDSM realm. So wow. It's your turn. Ito naman. No, I mean like you have you have like a very specific experience but it's a very intense experience whereas mm-hmm. I would have like a wider set of experiences but they're all kind of superficial compared to what you said because mm-hmm. uh, I started out with BDSM as a spectator. As a Willingly player, or accidentally? You know? Did you seek it um, out? Accidentally. accidentally. Ah, okay. So I think in the beginning when we used to go to like leather bars because, you know, and, and maybe this is a different, uh, what do you call that, episode topic now. Okay. Uh, because When you we, say I, we, I this is with your gravitate. husband? Or Yes. Okay. This is my husband, my boyfriend back then. My okay. Back then. So we would we would gravitate towards guys that looked like us, which were burlier guys, beefier mm-hmm. guys, stockier guys. Yung medyo malaman. Mm-hmm. So we would go to leather bars. And in leather bars, uh, you know, that was a part of what happens in a leather bar. Like you have people that are coming in masks. 
in harnesses, in chains. Why is it called the leather bar? People come in leather. It's called the leather bar. Yes. You have to have some type of leather. So in the form of a harness, a collar, a mask, a gag. Do you have leather gear, Maury? Uh, I mean, I do. (laughs) I do, but inspired by by pop divas like Christina Aguilera and Madonna. (laughs) Yes, correct. So, So that's, when I say superficial, it's just like I was inspired by something else and then i just got into it as a way of like trying it out so so in those leather bars we would see people like licking boots uh we would see spontaneous sex spontaneous group sex and this is all while we're ordering a drink you know so do do you pay to uh, get in is there is there a um no no cover no cover and then is there is there a big uh bouncer at the door who will like uh that's not leather you can't come in there are uh, if anyone who's tuned in has been to an eagle, any eagle in the states, um, they're very specific. Like hindi ka pwedeng nakachinelas. Like ako pa naman, I love sandals. You can't wear sandals. Uh, oh, correct. And you can't wear cologne. So it's like. Why? Why can't cologne? Because they are. They get off on the pheromones, natural the natural scent. smell. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Armpits. Actually, some people don't even wear deodorant. So when you go there, it really feels like you just came out of the gym or you're in a gym locker room. Amoy putok. Um, so, oh, mm. pero hindi masamsa. Sexy na amoy. Like, oh, oh. oh, I guess important. Para mo nung sinasabing mas matindi yung putok ng Pinoy. <laughs> Ay, hindi. Meron na, uh, in my travels, meron mas matindi pa sa akin. Okay, okay, uh, fine. Considering, I think, like, Pinoy's are even, like, the least smelly because uh, yeah, most because of us have, like, we bathe every great day. hygiene habits. Yeah, yes, we shower correct. every day. Uh-oh. And we're known for smelling good. And, eh. Yes, and relatively, most of us are hairless. And, oh, you know, so okay. I think that adds to that, that too. That helps. Um, okay. So, that's so a, bawal ang nakachirelas, bawal ang cologne. Hmm. Uh, bawal lang yung, ano, yung... Yung very full-fledged na gay look na may glitter or may sequins, <laughs> you know, my my favorites too. Ganon, or yung mga bright colors, like, oh. you know, very subdued. Yun mm. mga strict leather bars, ganun talaga. So ano suot mo? I mean, it's, um, it depends on, sometimes I go on underwear nights. Yun talaga. At least you don't have to think about too much like what you're gonna wear. Just make sure you have a decent pair of underwear. So take a, do you do you, do you enter the bar in your underwear or do you take take your no, clothes off in the you bar? Check in your clothes. Mm-hmm. You, uh, okay. I was uh, like, you better park close to the bar, dude. <laughs> yes. So yes, you don't do it during the winter. But then again, time, it's New York City, see, so people have seen it. All. Yeah, people yeah. and people can can walk around in the streets just in a harness, and it's not there's not much to do about it. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. You know, so regular people, it's jeans and no shirt or a white tank top. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, it, a bare chest could get you a, a discount on the drinks. So wow. they have these promos that would encourage it. They would have like these nights too. They would have like underwear night. They would have leather night. They would have like a goth night sometimes. It's weird. how that Oh, so, so yan yung, yan yung apparel. But what about what what about yes. the action? So the action sometimes, man, like I said, there are, there's yung panglinis, apang shine ng sapatos. May mm-hmm. isang uh, may seat don na may you know there's a place where you put your like a pedal. You mm-hmm. put your foot there, and then if you're wearing boots, people could worship your boots, or if you lick your boot if they want to. There's like 
a big wow. X where you could have someone tie themselves up. You know, there's sometimes there's a sling mm-hmm. there for people to like. Uh, so what do you do? Like if I if I go there perform. alone, I just go up on the sling and then somebody's gonna mount me. I mean, pe- yeah. do people have sex? Oh, okay. All yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. It, it's very you know it's very little talking and more like you you rely on on social cues and you also rely on some type of consensus too. Like you can always say no. No one's you're not gonna get attacked if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. And there's so many subtle ways you could turn somebody down or be turned down. You know, from like looking away to moving away. So it's not the type of bar where you get you will get violated. So I think that's one thing in this episode that you learned that uh, BDSM is about communication. It's about boundaries. It's about knowing yourself and knowing your yeah. partner. So even in those settings, you will that comes into play. And that sex doesn't always have to be part of the the thing, right? Correct. So it's yeah. it's up to you. Yeah, it, you you get to decide what you want to participate in. So were were you and your oh. husband then? Were you participants? Were you active participants in the action? Once in a while, but then we realized that you know if one of us isn't into it the other one wouldn't be so we wouldn't think about our own needs we would think about ourselves as a couple um, so we mm. ended up just being more spectators so pwede kang, you know? pwede kang pumunta doon sa voyeur lang I mean hindi ba parang oh, nandito ka lang para mamboso huwag ka na lumabas ka na lang kung hindi ka magpa-participate walang ganun so people can, wala, you can for as long as you come in leather gear and you you fit the the brief yes. you can just stand there and be part of the whole environment and the whole experience right. yeah no pressure no pressure talaga uh, can you can you, can you masturbate while you're watching yeah you can and ah. there's some okay so in some of these bars and not necessarily leather but in some gay bars uh, they have a dark room mm, yeah. where people mm-hmm. could just do anything anonymously mm-hmm. um so i didn't so i'm not gonna lump that in with uh with bdsm but mm-hmm. it's just another place where people could express engage in the activities yeah so yeah so it started out like that and then yeah so we went we've been to resorts too that that specialize in like leather nights Be, prior to meeting my husband i i met people uh before that it didn't start out uh, with that kink but then later on you know I noticed with your partner and what turns them on and then if you notice that some of them like to be uh, yelled at or ordered or mm. spanked and then mm. so at some point you do try to please your partner even if uh, you know at some point I'm not into that I you know but I like I like it when my partner gets aroused and if that mm. means like if I have to curse you out or call you names or be really rough with you at that moment, I can know, give you what you want. I get pleasure. Yes. Mm. Then I get pleasure from your your reaction. You know? Yeah. So hopefully, I, hopefully when you started out saying that maybe Pinoys are not into this, maybe we could reframe this subject matter so that they realize that Malawak talaga yung scope ng, uh, talaga. ng BDSM. And may sasabihin so, yung guest natin about na nagula tayo, di ba na, ay, marami palang Pinoy. <laughs> Oo. At saka, uh, yeah, meron, yeah, may mga revelation siya na parang, oh my God, talaga. Yeah, yeah. Kaya abangan nila yan. So without further ado, here's our project. The one about BDSM with our special guest, Switch Jake, on the Balut Kiki Project. With Maury and Jeff. <laughs> More of the Balut Kiki Project. Welcome back to the Balut Kiki Project. Our guest for this project is a national BDSM educator in the US 
who has been doing it for 18 years, so he definitely knows what he's talking about. He is a director for the Colorado Leather Fest, and in the past has striven to increase knowledge and acceptance of BDSM and alternative lifestyles as a whole. In his educator role, he has taught all over the U.S. and Canada on a variety of topics, and not solely limited to BDSM venues Our guest, Swiss Jake, has also taught in vanilla establishments, including colleges and universities, in an effort to bring knowledge to those seeking it. He is also the host of his own podcast, Kink in the Chain, where he gives relationship advice and interviews people of importance within the kink and BDSM community. He is also very active in his local community as an event organizer and an educator. We'd like to welcome to the project, Swiss Jake. Well, thank you for the lovely introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we call you Jake. Can we call you Jake? That's okay. Yes, of course. All right. I thought you were going to ask to be called master. I was like, okay, let's play. (laughs) First of all. I was going to roll with it if you did. (laughs) All right. So I wanted to come from you. I've done a little bit of research, just a little bit, but what does BDSM mean? What do the letters mean? So it's actually a six-word acronym, even though it's only four letters long. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have B, which is bondage. Mm-hmm. Then we have D, which would be dominance. Then we have so in essence, the, the second, the second and third letters are duplicated. So now, so we have bondage, dominance, dominance, submissive, submission, and mm-hmm. sadomasochism. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they've they've so it's B D D S S M is All what right. it originally but most people just think of it as whips chains and leather that's kind of the <laughs> uh, the idea would you consider bdsm is it a culture a lifestyle a mindset what is it it is most definitely a culture it mm-hmm. very much originated with uh, biker culture coming back from some of the world wars mm-hmm. a lot of the veterans who came back were seeking a little bit of structure in their lives they they had been used to the military ideas that they had been that they you know they just came back from war and they had, they were missing that command structure Filipino culture is very much ingrained in us, having grown up in the Philippines all our lives. I don't know how prevalent BDSM is in the Philippines, but I read something. I don't know if this rings true uh, for you, Jake. It says nearly 47% of women and 60% of men have fantasized about dominating someone sexually, while slightly more women and less men are aroused by the idea of being dominated. This is from a study that was published online in 2016 the Journal of Sex Research. The same study also found that almost 47% of adults would like to participate in at least one non-traditional type of sexual activity. 33.9% said that they'd, got, they'd done so at least once in the past. So, and if you search the phrase BDSM on Google, it returns with more than 500 million results. On the other hand, the phrase missionary sex only returns about 163 million results. So is there a lot of underground BDSM going around that we're not aware about? And if so, why the cloak and the veil over it? Well, if uh, the website, the social network that we use for the most part for BDSM these days is Mm fetlife.com. It's kind of, we call it the Facebook for kinky people. If it's any indication... There are 18,230 kinksters in the Philippines alone. Just what? as a heads up, I just did a quick search through the through the database. That's 18,000? 18,000. Um, Obviously, I mean, uh, if I look at the US, it's dwarfed, but okay. <laughs> um, but there's definitely a large contingent that you all have. I see at least 40 different groups 
uh, attending. It really does depend on the culture, though, where you are. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying the U.S. is more open because we are, uh, if like the recent OnlyFans stuff is any indication, uh, there's a lot of archaic uh, thoughts. And certain areas, um, for example, I taught in a, in a state here in the U.S. called called Ohio. Mm -hmm. Ohio is primarily rural corn. Mm -hmm. It's very uh, conservative. We, we basically, we we were hiding in the hotel when we were doing our convention. Nobody knew we were there. I mean, the event, we'd rented the space, but the hotel probably didn't know what we were doing necessarily. They just rented the space and thought we were having a wedding or something. They didn't care. Uh, Versus you go somewhere like California where, you know, leather daddies are walking down the street. You've got the Folsom's you got yeah. the Folsom Street, yep. Fair. Street Fair. And then like here in Colorado, where I am, it's kind of a hybrid. It's accepted. We have open clubs, but it's not, I guess it, we're not as open. I mean, we do march in our in our parades and things of that nature. So maybe, and, and you, what you mentioned too, if there are 18,000 kinksters in the Philippines, maybe people are involved in some form of BDSM and not know it. So how would you categorize or how would you describe what that lifestyle is? Because maybe people are already participating in it and not know it. So how would you uh, describe it to to a layman or a layperson? So the very basic idea of BDSM is power exchange. And power exchange is basically having a different power dynamic between two or more individuals. You can have as many as you want in that dynamic. And some couples, whether they be straight, gay, or whatever, already have this dynamic. You could think of a traditional household. And regardless of of gender, let's just use an example of a male household where the, the male is in charge of the household running everything. And then you have the female in charge of the children. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not passing any judgment, but Mm -hmm. there's a clear power disparity where the male is making the decisions and the female is taking orders that could be considered a power dynamic. Of course you could have it the other way and any insert any gender you want, but in a BDSM relationship, usually if you're doing a pure master slave relationship, there's a clear hierarchy. This person's in charge. This person's taking orders. In the cases of scenes, it could just be just for the course of one night for an hour. One person is in charge. One person is receiving, taking orders, whatever you want to call it. A lot of couples will find that they enjoy BDSM without even knowing about it. For example, my own parents, uh, I had to kind of explain it to them because my father liked to spank my mother in the kitchen whenever they were there. And uh, it just kind of, let's just say it grew from there. But when, when I had to explain to them, you know, this is a slight power dynamic here. And then, oh, it is. How old were you when you explained this to them and pointed this out? Uh, I was 25 at the time. Oh, okay. so uh, <laughs> I was I was already teaching and doing this stuff. And it is what it is. <laughs> and I read somewhere, Jake, that there was a story about how you got started into this whole thing in grade school. Your parents got called into the principal's office about mm. um, your teachers noticing somebody, something about the characters that you wrote about in class. Tell us about that. <laughs> a lot of people say that they've been doing this since they were children. I, I don't. I used to basically, uh, I had a girlfriend in uh, in elementary school who would run up against like posts or or tetherball poles or any any kind of freestanding object, and then she would hand me the jump rope and I would run around it, wrapping her up in it. And she'd be like, "Oh, I can't move!" And then she'd run, then I'd run the other way and she'd run away as the recess monitor is coming over, like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" Then we mm-hmm. disperse in different directions. 
But yes, my my teachers noticed that a lot of my stories involved the main character usually being overwhelmed, captured, uh, not always tortured, but sometimes then usually escaping and succeeding. Okay, so he gets away with it. But they were they were definitely noticing a pattern, and so they called my folks in to say, "Hey, um, you might have a problem here that you might need to address, like therapy or something." Um, they did send me to a therapist. A good, fat lot of good it did me, but. Uh, <laughs> So do you think you reckon that's how it started and then eventually growing into that? Yes. um, Some individuals believe that kinksters are born via abuse and things of that nature. I don't believe that personally. Mm -hmm. Kink can be a tremendous way to to over to get over abusive situations like if you. For example, a rape survivor, let's just take, I mean, it's a horrific example, but somebody mm-hmm. who has been physically raped, mm-hmm. while I don't necessarily recommend they do it right away, engaging in things like rape play can help you overcome that loss because you're able to basically imprint a happier memory on top of the same action as opposed to the horrific event that happened. Now, it's a long, slow process. It because is. It would be. It's a horrific event, but- Eventually, you can change that thought and possibly be able to play with that and get over that a little bit better. Than, I mean, you can do therapy, too, but I think it's a lot, lot mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, how did you was it in college, did you say um, somewhere where you started to explore this? Yes, uh, I came back to the United States to go to college, and um, that was my first basically I, I had a very different childhood than most. Uh, I lived overseas. I was yeah, I was in South America for most of my childhood. Mm, okay. um, I had the advantage of my own personal driver and security and and whatnot for various reasons. But needless to say, I couldn't go anywhere without somebody knowing where I was. So slipping off to a BDSM convention would probably have gotten back to my parents at the time. And short version, though, when I got to college, now suddenly I had autonomy and I wasn't a threatened, threatened to be kidnapped every day. So I could go places without a problem. So the, I, I got on a site that sadly, well, it exists, but it's not as good as it used to be. It used to be called Collar Me. Uh, I think it's now called Collar Space, but there's a whole there's a whole story about that, but it's not really mm-hmm. that important. I joined it and I saw there was a group locally, which uh, there are some in the Philippines too. They're called Munches and it's it's a code word in the BDSM community. And a munch is basically a gathering of kinksters in what we call a vanilla establishment, a regular establishment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We went and attended, I went and attended my first munch and it was at a restaurant. So I went and sat down with a bunch of people who I had no idea who they were. And we sat and well, (laughs) truth be told, they sat around and talked kink. I sat in a booth on the perimeter of it and just listened because I was too terrified to go sit down with these creepy people. How old were you? Uh, I would, that would have been 21 at that time. Okay. All right. So I was terrified. Didn't know anything about this lifestyle. Didn't know any of these people who were old enough to be my parents. Ordered a plate of fries because I'm a poor college student. So I ordered a dollar plate of fries and sat there and listened. They got up and left. And then I left shortly after. I came back two additional times without anybody being with me, without joining them rather. And on that third time, a dominant from the table came over and said, you've been here three times and haven't come and sat with anyone. Get over here. And she dragged me over to the table. She was um, a lady. A lady. Yep. Okay. Dragged me over to the table. And then that weekend, I went to my first play party 
And then the next day I went to another play party and I've been doing it ever since. And I don't recommend people do that because I had no idea what I was doing. And I agreed to some things I probably shouldn't have. I mean, there's no ill long-term effects or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but I definitely warned people of not that she did anything wrong. It's that I didn't know the questions to ask. And I just kind of said yes to everything. Must have been a pretty wild first time, I would think. Yeah. What was the attra- what was the attraction for you? Like, what made you go to those places? What was the draw for you? Well, at first, I'll be frank with you, I was a little disturbed by my own thoughts. I thought that I might must be the only one on the planet that thought this way, that there can't be anyone else that could possibly like this kind of thing, and there must be something wrong with me. Probably had something to do with my folks telling me that what I was thinking was wrong and bad. But when I found people that were, it was the power dynamic. It was the fact of losing control. A lot of what I do in my brain all day long is I try to control everything. I recently just got back from a BDSM convention, actually, just this weekend. I just had one. And for me, the only way that I can remain sane in any situation is to try to control as much of it as I possibly can. So I, and I'm in this particular weekend, I taught three classes, I had to haul a ton of equipment. I'd actually buy extra bags on the airplane because I had so much equipment that I had to bring with me. I had to bring uh, three demo bottoms with me and uh, prepare my classes. You know, I had to get the hotels, flights, airfare, uh, rental cars, everything that I needed to do to get there. And so me having doing all this control and making sure that everything's perfect, having someone to be able to say, okay, on your knees, do this thing, you know. It allows me to shut off my brain and go and focus on one single thing and go, okay, I'm no longer in control. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a vacation in my own head. Very interesting. Did you bring the tower? I did not bring the tower this time. Um, Unfortunately, the three classes they asked me to teach were forced orgasm, which would have used the tower, but I, I was um, I had to bring a uh, motor bunny or a Sibian, whichever you know it as. It's a it's a saddle vibrator. It's it's basically it's a, a rod that's connected to a motor that vibrates um, that the that the ladies can sit on and basically you know have an orgasm. <laughs> And then they had me also bring um, electrical play, so I brought all my electrical gear to shock people. And finally, my chastity gear, which I had to bring four belts uh, for four different people uh, for their first time in chastity. They'd never done it before. So all of this equipment, bringing the tower would have been nice. I'll agree. It would have been nice, but I could not, I could not afford the bag space. Wow. It sounds really overwhelming. How does one start if I was like interested tuning into this episode, this project, and if I've been entertaining the thought of it sounds interesting might be something that i want to try how would you suggest as an educator one get started um into bdsm if you're just exploring it and me trying to find out whether it's for me or if it's not for me well the very first thing that we usually have people do is attend munches like i said earlier vanilla gathering mm-hmm. uh, and the reason is is because it's at a vanilla restaurant if you sit down and you find that it's just not working for you that people You find it creepy, disturbing. You can get up and leave. It's just a restaurant. Nobody's ever going to know you were there. Usually we have, we have people do that. Plus it's a public setting. People can, you, I mean, nobody's going to harm you in any way. One, yeah, scene is not going to happen in a restaurant or at least it shouldn't. I guess it depends where you live. But the second thing I would recommend for people to do is to join sites like FetLife. I'm not necessarily specific. I mean, I don't, I'm not beholden to FetLife, but Mm -hmm. 
FetLife has been a really wonderful thing for a lot of kinksters. It is uh, an amazing website that would allow you to find local events in your area and online in the age of COVID. We have plenty of online events too. Hang on, is this free? Because that's the first question that Filipinos are going to ask. Is it free to join? 100% free. Okay. (laughs) Um, You can donate to the site and get some very mild perks, but nothing nothing that would stop you from anything. You get the ability to view videos, for example. Like, okay, (laughs) if you want videos, great. But uh, yeah, no, it's 100% free. Anyone can join. It is, once you put in your location or you can, a lot of people set themselves to Antarctica just so that nobody knows where they live. Mm. Um, you can do that. Or if you put yourself where you're, where you're actually at, you'll be able to see a list of events in your local area and go and possibly attend them. Depending on where you live, those events may be as public as being a munch, which most areas I've been at, with the exception of perhaps some of the Arab nations, I could see them that not being very popular there. <laughs> but uh, most other countries I've ever been to, they have munches at the very least. Then you start moving into house parties, which is private residences. They've set up some kind of space in their basement. I would recommend going to the munch first just to get to know people because now you're entering someone's private home and somebody may not know where you are. And I'm not saying that things could happen that you're not wanting, but it is possible. Just being safe. Yeah. And then depending on your area, there may be public dungeons, like actual like businesses that have set up. Um, And then on top of that, there are conventions, which are even bigger. So it really depends on where you are, but the munch would be the best place to start and then find your local community via FetLife. Do you find that, um, and, and feel free to use yourself if you want to, but let's just say, do you find that sexual preferences blur when it comes to BDSM? Let's say I identify as gay, but I could go join a, a munch and and be in some type of power exchange with a woman. Do you find that uh, if that happens a lot in uh, in the community? A lot of people, when they first come in, assume their sexual preferences are what they're going to want to play with. And that's perfectly fine. If you have, if you're into, if you're a man, you're into women, women into men, whatever, that is fine. And that does happen. Personally, like I play with a lot more women than I do men, but the, but the key part of that sentence is, but I do play with men. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not sexually attracted to men. And then I blur the lines here because I do forced orgasms on men, meaning I, I get them off. And however, I am currently married to a woman in, lo- in love with a woman, and that is me. However, there's a lot of people that we take sex and and then our play are two very different things as far as as what we like. So my my way of saying is I'll torture whatever you got, but I'm only in love with one thing. And also being a switch, which uh, I can define, I guess. We should probably define that before I go into that. Um, there's a variety of different roles you can play in the community. The most obvious ones would be dominant top. These are people who you might consider the alphas. They are the people who are doing the thing to the people. Mm-hmm. Then you have masters above that, where they are the they are they are taking complete control over someone's life. Mm. Then you've got um, do, uh, submissives, bottoms, slaves. Those are the people who are receiving everything. 
and each level is a little more detailed as far as what they're looking for. They want either for a scene, for a short period of time, or their lifestyle, basically. So it, it really depends on what you're looking for. And then smack dab in the middle, you've got switches, which is what I am, mm-hmm. which basically means because I'm a bisexual switch or a, a bi-play switch would be a better word, I suppose. That means it doesn't matter what you got between your legs. And if you're a top or a bottom, I will play with you. It just depends on how I feel that one particular night. So, um, yeah, it, it really depends on the person. It, it has nothing to do with their gender. It depends on the energy they exude and just basically our relationship and the skill set of things that they're looking for. Mm. No, I was just going to say, going back to the switch, it sounds like I could equate it to in the gay community. We have something like verse or versatile or versatile. Is it like the same concept where you could either be a top or a bottom? Very much so, yeah. Yeah, it, it allows it allows for a little bit of flexibility or versatility in the play that you're going to do. Uh, it also can be, for example, like when I go out to conventions, I, I maybe I think it's a something I should probably get over. But when I go out to conventions, I tend to want to top. I'm mm-hmm. always topping because I want everyone to feel that I am this dominant person. And that if you're listening to me in education, I shouldn't be some. And I I'm using this. In, in a in a facetious tone, yes. uh, some wimpy little submissive that's teaching people. And that is not the case. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I come back, it's like, oh, God, I just beat in, and tortured 10 different people in the weekend. I want to be tortured now. Mm. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> How do I know if I'm a dom or a sub? Do I, does one instinctively know that you are dominant or submissive? Realistically, a lot of people come into the community with an idea of what they think they are. Mm-hmm. I came into the scene as a submissive. That's what I originally started as. Mm. But then I, as I started exploring and trying new things, I found that I like doing other things. So it it honestly doesn't matter what you think you are. It's just when you start playing, if you if you find that you prefer to submit to people or if you find that you like to dominate people, that's how you're going to kind of figure it out. And you may try, hypothetically, you may try domination on someone in your, or, or in general and be like, oh God, this is not for me. Not I, for you, I can't yeah. do this. Or you may try submission and be like, oh no, I, I can't. I've got too dominant of a personality. I can't submit anyone. It can fluctuate over time. Do you, I, I mean, you mentioned earlier that sometimes you come home with feelings. So to our listeners who have experienced that, how do you handle that? Because you, I can imagine that when you go through something like a BDSM, um, there's a, a very intense exchange. So how do you deal with the afterglow or the after guilt of that? Or is there any after guilt? So a lot of us, we go, we become, think, think of it somewhat in the terms of theater, Again, we call it a scene. So we take on characters that may not necessarily be what we really are inside. I, for example, do not like to hurt people, obviously, in real life. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go up and just smack somebody from the back of the head. Mm -hmm. I've been taught all my life not to hurt women in general. And yet when I go into a scene, I mean, just this weekend, I grabbed a woman by the throat, threw her against a wall, beat her with a paddle. I did what would be considered to be very violent actions. Now, don't get me wrong. She, mm-hmm. well, I, I mean this jokingly, she deserved it because she was freaking mm-hmm. egging me on. Mm-hmm. And uh, also she enjoyed it very much. So it's not like it was unwanted. I wouldn't. It was with I, consent. Yeah. Yes. And even in the community, I wouldn't just grab some random person and be thrust them against the wall. Even if they were a submissive, it would be, okay, we need to have a s- discussion here. We need to negotiate what we're doing, what's allowed. 
And so we do our action and we both have our fun and then we both revert to whoever we are, who we really are. And then we both go, okay, that was in a scene that was play. That was fun. Now we're back to who we are. You could also take it in the example of, say, just a gamer, even, you know, you any first person shooter gamer, you know, you go through a, a match and you're murdering, you know, an entire village of people in uh, in a video game. And then you turn it off and go, well, oh, that was nice, you know, and mm-hmm. and but you're not that's not who you are. It's it's only temporary. However, that being said, in the case of BDSM. Sometimes it can go too far and you have regrets. And that is mm-hmm. true. It is entirely possible that that could happen. However, we do something that we afterward, basically, um, it's called aftercare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and heard about that, yeah. what aftercare is, is between two individuals is basically coming back to reality. We, we say that the pendulum has to swing one way. So we have all this fun, adrenalines and endorphins and everything else. It swings all the way. But then the pendulum has to swing back and it's not going to swing back to the middle. It's going to go the complete opposite direction. And so you use aftercare to bring yourself back to the middle to say, Mm -hmm. I am not that person. This person is okay. I did not hurt them in any serious way. Are you okay? I'm going to call you tomorrow. Would you like lunch, dinner? Shall we go out? Whatever it might be. Could you walk us through like what a sample conversation would be? Um, It sounds like you set contracts or you set like your expectations before you're seen. So could you walk us through like what that conversation looks like? Of course. Usually what ends up happening, uh, there are some easy ways to do it. Like, for example, FetLife has a list of things you can say, I'm into this, I'm not into this. I usually use that as a starting gauge when I when I'm about to play with somebody. Personally, and this isn't everybody, I make a dossier for every person I play with. And basically, whenever I want to play with them again, because I play with so many individuals, sometimes I forget some people have certain triggers. For example, I have one play partner who doesn't like to be called a bad girl. If I call her a bad girl, she breaks into tears and and scenes over. Oh, Sometimes okay. I like to go, oh, you bad girl, you broke out. And then so then she breaks down. But another one I have loves that. So mm-hmm. Others, I can't touch their throat. Some I can. So I I create a dossier. So I'm about to play with somebody. I have a cheat sheet that I can pull up and go, okay, they like this, 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 this. Okay, got it. Just so that I can remember these things. But when you're normally doing a negotiation, what you want to do, there's two types of negotiation. There's inclusive and exclusive negotiation. And what exclusive negotiation basically means is this, this, and this are not okay, but everything else is fine. Sometimes that's good, but Understand that we kinksters are a creative bunch, and I bet you I can find something that should be on that excluded list that you forgot to think about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I pull a 20-foot python out of my bag and say, now this is going to be your bondage for the rest of the day, they're like, ah, uh, we didn't talk about that. But you didn't say um, we couldn't do it. (laughs) Or when I teach a mindfuck class, sometimes I'll give them a checklist of things and I will add strange things to the list just to mess with their minds. Like, how do you feel about chocolate pudding? How do you feel about being wrapped up in latex? How do you feel about drowning? And, uh, you know, they're, uh, 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 but the whole idea is to get them off guard so they don't know what the real thing is versus inclusive negotiation, which basically means you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Everything else is not okay. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying these are bad, but do everything else, it's these are good. You can't do anything else. And so newbies, we usually do it that way. I, when I negotiate as a sub, because I've been around so long, I usually do exclusive negotiation. 
and then we talk about the strange stuff, but sometimes the strange stuff is the fun stuff. So, so basically you sit down at least at my club and most of the clubs across the United States and Canada and Germany, I guess, where I've been, we, we, we are a staff member. will sometimes, if you want, we'll sit down with you and the two people just say, okay, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Is this okay? Yes. Is this okay? Yes. Is this okay? No. And the staff members there to basically go, Hey, you didn't ask about this. You should probably ask about this. Hey, um, what about this? And the idea is, is that the two people come to a consensus as, as to what's going to happen during a particular scene. And then we move on from there. During a scene, things can be taken away, but they cannot be added. So we might start with an electrical play and impact scene and suddenly say, oh, I'm not really into the impact tonight. Okay. All right. We'll take out the impact and we'll keep going. And that's basically negotiation. It's really beautiful to see it when when two people do it because it unlike a vanilla relationship where people kind of just throw themselves in and see what happens, this is very much very structured. You can use contracts if you want. You can use limitless, which are basically checklists, but um, they're not required. A simple verbal discussion is usually enough for any scene. Do you do edge play? Can you define what edge play is for us? And do you do it? How far do you go? So the problem with defining edge play is that it's a constantly moving target. Uh, Mm -hmm. In essence, the very definition of it is, is that edge play is something that somebody considers unorthodox. Now, for me, maybe edge play might be considered like amputation play or something like that, which people do do, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, they do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very rare, but it, it, it does exist. But to somebody else, my electrical play that I do with people all the time could be considered edge, edge play. play that for it's, some. Mm-hmm. it's scary. So it's in essence, it's the things that are are just past what you, you're comfortable with. And uh, we're basically throwing you into the deep end. So it really depends. Uh, I do edge play for some individuals. There, there are some individuals who are utterly terrified of my electricity when I do it. Um, or ironically, even the forced orgasm is somewhat terrifying to some people. I mean, I can whip you and beat you all day, but you have an orgasm? Oh, that's terrifying for some people. But there you go. It's, um, it really depends on the person and, and to define what edge play is. On episode three of your podcast, you said that I think this was at the time when the movie Fifty Shades of Grey was starting to change things in the BDSM community. And you said on episode three that you liked that kink was becoming part of the mainstream uh, discourse. Do you still feel that way? You remember on that episode, you saw, you talked about seeing this couple in the mall uh, with the other person on the leash and chain. Do you still feel that way? Or has Fifty Shades of Grey totally ruined everything for the BDSM community? I'll admit it did increase the amount of people exposed to it. We, uh, as, as somewhat of a joke, well, it wasn't a joke, actually. They asked us to leave, but we we printed up some pamphlets about uh, that's basically said, so you want to try BDSM. And we stood outside movie theaters where that movie was being played <laughs> and we'd hand it out to people similar to what like maybe a religious group might do. Like, here you go. Here's some literature mm-hmm. about us where we went. We'd all went and saw it. And then we went through and debunked some of the things that were in it saying that, you know, this is not normally how a relationship is. This mm-hmm. is. This is strange. There is a there is a double-edged sword here though, because originally BDSM was nice because it was somewhat taboo. It was it was different. It was uh forbidden. Mm-hmm. And now now that it's was not like com- the it's, yeah, that was the sort of like the come on, right? That you're doing something that's forbidden. Yeah, and now it's a completely normal like gag gift to give someone a pair of fuzzy handcuffs and if you're having a bachelor party, you know, maybe the, the dancer shows up in full leather and has a whip in her hand. I mean, it's just there. there is some there is some loss of appeal 
admittedly, but I think we're better for it in general. I, I do appreciate that more people are accepting of it, at least around here and, and in my areas, just simply because I don't have to pretend what I am anymore. We can have these conventions in hotels and honestly, we can have a good time and nobody even bats an eye at it, especially in California where I just was. <laughs> <laughs> So you talked about misconceptions about um, BDSM. Let's play fact or fake. Um, okay. So tell me if it's a fact or if it's fake information. BDSM is just about sex. Fake. Yeah, the power exchange is the primary element of it. Um, sex, don't get me wrong, can be a part of mm-hmm. any scene. You can end a scene with sex. You can have it whenever you want. But I have partners that I play with and many other people do as well that we are not sexually active with in any way, shape or form. My partner is the only person that I have sex with. That is the only person that I do that with. Now, I do force orgasms out of people, as I stated earlier. But um, the act of having sex and being in, in that kind of relationship is reserved for just my partner. Everybody else, you know, I beat, I do these things too. I'm not a threat to them in any way sexually. And that's how they want it to be because they may have partners of their own. This, as, as they said in American Dad, you know, the thing we do won't make no babies it's like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll beat you, I'll whip you, I'll give you an orgasm, but you ain't, aren't going to have a child afterwards. So, who is really the person in power? As a queer person growing up, I've always, I've, I was always a top, but I've always thought that the bottom is the person in power because I can only do things that he's the bottom sets the boundaries for me. That you, you know what I mean? So, is that the same for BDSM? You are very correct. The, the If the top did not have a bottom to play off of, they would just be some obnoxious person shouting orders that nobody would follow. Submissives and slaves do have to have a tremendous backbone to be slaves. Doormats mm-hmm. do not survive very long in the community mm-hmm. because they generally just get, a, I don't want to say they get abused, but they suffer some kind of an abuse mm-hmm. and then they leave the community. Whereas a slave understands their role can take a beating and then build themselves back up again to take another beating. So it tends to be, yeah, the slaves have all the power because all they have to do is say, nope, I'm done and walk away. And the top's like, well, okay. <laughs> is BDSM expensive? Do you have to have equipment that are necessarily leather? What can we start with if we don't have the resources or the money? If you go to most conventions or organizations, they have usually what we call dollar store kink, which basically means you go to the store and you're going to be, you can, at least at our dollar stores around here, you can buy clothespins, you can buy rope, you can buy really inexpensive stuff. Not that it's going to last you very long. It's probably Mm going to fall apart after a few play sessions, but the the basic idea is, is understand that you don't need anything to get into BDSM whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that you need are two people willing to do it and your bare hands. That's re- literally all you need in order to do anything because you can do everything from holding someone against a wall, choking them, slapping them, spanking them. All of these same things can be achieved. Spanking could be achieved with a paddle that you could buy. Mm-hmm. Choking could be achieved with a belt or some rope, mm-hmm. uh, holding them against the wall, rope or cuffs or whatever that might be the case. So all of these things are just adding to your scene where you can restrain somebody, then walk away and grab toys to do things to them without you having to do it. But that's not to say you can't just hold someone against the wall, like hold their hands against the wall and then slap them if you mm-hmm. wanted to or punch them or beat them or whatever might be the case. So it basically that it, it doesn't honestly matter. It It is better, I think, as you start getting into it to start getting more toys. I probably have at least uh, $30,000 oh worth of toys at this gosh. point. <laughs> um, 
but wow. that's also 20, 20 years of collecting, playing. Every time I go to a convention, I tend to buy more stuff. I think I spent $700 at this last convention in, in just toys alone. You, you start to build up your collection. You start to figure out what you like and you move on from there. But no, it does not have to be an expensive thing. And if you're submissive, while there is a recommendation, which I will give, you do not need necessarily any toys because usually the person you're playing with has those toys. So you just mm-hmm. show up and get beaten. Now, I also caveat that with saying as a submissive, it's good to have your own toy bag if possible for two reasons. One, you know that the toys have been cleaned to your mm-hmm. specifications. And two, as a top, it's like Christmas because you come to me with a bag of toys and say, use these on me. And I go, ooh, I can mm-hmm. use all of these on you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it just it makes them very happy. But not a requirement, just a recommendation. Just gonna, I'm just going to uh, double down on what you just said. $30,000 worth of toys. Do you have a red room, just like Christian Grey in your house? What is it? <laughs> just out of curiosity, is it anything like that? Moving day is very interesting here because <laughs> uh, I don't have a red room. Uh, technically, it's out in. I have it in bins out in my garage. I've got all the things because it's just you know I I, well, I do live with my partner and not, and I don't have my parents here, but you know parents come to visit. Her par- her parents were here in town just last week, actually. So people, you know, come over and I can't have a, a room with a padlock on it that somebody's going to ask questions about. Like, what's in there? <laughs> but moving day, when it when it when when I move houses, usually my folks want to come help and I have vanilla friends who want to help. So we end up bringing over all the kinksters first. We move all the kinky equipment somewhere oh, else. Usually. Okay, smart. <laughs> usually not even the house we're going to, like somebody's garage. And then we move all the stuff in from the old house to the new house. And then we go grab the stuff from the garage and move that into the house. So it's a lot. There's, there's furniture, there's toys, there's just tons and tons of bins, uh, enough, enough saddle vibrators around here. That uh, it's just crazy. I mean, heck, I, I know this is an audio podcast, but I mean, I've got toys right here at my desk, for example. <laughs> Within so, reach. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Have your parents ever found a random toy somewhere when you were younger, just laying around the house? And what was that conversation like? <laughs> well, I didn't have any toys when I was younger uh, because I was still living with them, but they have found the occasional thing around here that I've forgotten. Um, to put away. Yeah, it it. It ended up being a, a negative experience uh, the, the first few times, and I think I mentioned this on the sh- on my show. But when my my mother found out about my kink stuff, she, there were two things she said. First, well, first she threw me out and told me never to come back to the family again. Now I will tell you that it has a happy ending, so don't, don't feel okay. too bad. It's fine. But she said two things that really showed how little she understood about what I did. She told me, what if someone in the neighborhood is is raped? This is the first house the police will come to. To which I said, no, that's not true because I I didn't do the raping. So Mm -hmm. why would the police come here? Mm -hmm. And two, now you're going to have to go down and register as a sexual deviant. And she thought it was Mm -hmm. the same as a sex offender. In my head, I didn't tell her this, but in my head, I was like, where's this office and where can I go get a card? Because (laughs) I want to be a registered sexual deviant. (laughs) 
but the happy ending of that part is like two or three weeks later, they, their computer broke and I'm an IT guy in my normal life and they called me to come fix it. And then we just haven't talked about it since. So it's just been a, I never asked for an apology. I just said, all right, if that's how you feel, I'm leaving. Cause I'm not changing who I am. This is who and what I am. I am good at what I am. I can thank all of my relationships I've ever had. I mean, I met my current partner at a BDSM con and they love her. They think she's wonderful. So if you're telling me that my entire lifestyle is awful and abhorrent, then you must hate my wife as well. So, mm. and all my other relationships, because I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I, I want to piggyback off that because how supportive have your partners been? Because are they like, really, Jake, another vibrator? Like how welcoming? Or really, Jake, another vibrator. <laughs> right. So how is it like with your relationship? So um, I do buy my vibrators in bulk. I will tell you that right now. In bulk? Um, I do. Because There's a BJ's for that? There is. Um <laughs> They, uh, I, I, I buy them from a website called DHgate, but it's like a Chinese Amazon. It's, I've heard uh, about that. Yeah. It's cheap. And I will admit they break really relatively easily, but I buy a lot of them. So there you go. As far as them being supportive. Yes. There have been a number of times when they come home and say, why is there a pile of vibrators sitting on the kitchen table? And I have to go, well, I just haven't gone through and inventoried them yet. Cause I actually do have an inventory system that I put them in. So I know what I have and what I don't have. Uh, if I loan people toys, I know who I lent them to. Some of them have barcodes, but that's an entirely different story. Wow, because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot of stuff, and I can't I can't get away from that. As far as being supportive, different partners are different. Now, the, my current partner, well, she's not here right now, so that's that I can be open and honest about this. But um, she's fine. She uh, was supported from the very beginning. I did have a previous partner who I met at one of my forced orgasm classes. And we got into it and her, one of her first things she told me as well, you know, I want to get in a relationship with you, but I'm not comfortable with you forcing orgasms out of people to which I, I told her, well, I can't stop doing that class. It's my, that's my flagship class. I have to do that class, but I will give it six months and we can talk about it. And after six months, I started teaching again. And of course that started fights and et cetera, et cetera. Most of my partners though, have all been very, very supportive of what I do. And, um, I would not. I tried dating vanilla after a failed relationship and just realized that that's go? not, it's not going to work. It, it, they got jealous. They were, they were like, why are you going out to the club? And first and foremost, well, at least before COVID anyway, it's pretty much every Saturday night I'm at the club. Mm. So now every single Saturday night is called for. And they're like, well, I want to go out to this. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not necessarily even playing. I'm working or something at the club. So it's like, I have obligations. I have to go. Well, I want to go see a movie. Well, I can't get it off. So sorry, I have to go to the club. I have obligations. So you teach, right? You're an educator. How did you get into teaching? What made you get into teaching? Did you realize you were getting so good at this that I can actually teach this? <laughs> I'm an expert now. So, so uh, one thing that most of us educators like to say is that we're never experts in anything, that we've mm -hmm. never mastered anything in particular, that we are just very knowledgeable. We're good at what we do. And the, the usual thought is we want to create more people like us. For example, this, this very weekend, I taught my chastity class. And as I said earlier, I brought four chastity devices to the event. And on Friday, my class was on Sunday, but on Friday morning, when I got there, each of them came up to my hotel room and we fitted them with a chastity belt. And they spent the entire weekend up until the class in the belts. Wow. Um, the, the, the idea was, is these individuals had never done this before. They had never experienced this before, and they were willing to give it a try. 
and see how they liked it. Mm-hmm. I know that two of them are now hooked and they were so excited that I saw them posting on Twitter photos of them. They're like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Um, I know one of them was kind of like, eh, it's okay. And and the last one was, I think said it was okay too. I don't really know what his thoughts were. But my point was, is that by me giving people this experience, now I have created more people like me who like this kind of play, who enjoy it. Same with electrical play, same with everything I do. I want more people to do what I do so that I can learn new ways of doing those very same things. I don't know everything. And you may come up with something that I had not even thought of Mm -hmm. that either you can teach me or I can now play with you. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you're into electrical play now, I can either play with you, you can play with me. So I want to create more like me. I want to clone myself Mm -hmm. basically. What classes do you teach? Tell us about the classes, the different classes that you teach. They sound very interesting. So my flagship, as I said earlier, was forced orgasm. And Mm -hmm. the tagline for that is the act of giving someone as many orgasms as he, she, or they can stand and then five more. So the idea is, is that we we push you to your limit and then we go, okay, we're going to keep going. And uh, that's when we get into a little bit of the torturous side because you're super sensitive. You are like, okay, I've had an orgasm. Oh God, I'm having another orgasm. Ah, not another one. That's kind of my flagship that I teach. Um, electrical play, which is uh, for people who stuck their fingers in light sockets and liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, in essence, we shock people. Pretty self-explanatory. Chastity, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before. Uh, I do also teach classes on poly uh, in the scene. It's called Balancing Play Partners and Relationships. And it's basically how to have a full-time committed single relationship or with multiple people, but then also play with other people as well without compromising that relationship. And then we get into things like Dungeons of the Future where we talk about future tech and how it's going to affect kink in the future and, and how relationships have changed and how the, the community has changed. I talk about uh, beating the TSA, i.e., you know, beating the TSA, <laughs> uh, how, to, how to get through security without having a problem. Um, uh-huh. I, t- I teach about how to be an introvert in the scene because full disclosure, I'm an introvert. I am terrified to talk in front of groups, yet I go and teach in front of big conventions. Hmm. You know, how do I achieve that? There's a lot of classes on my list that I teach. Uh, the fucked up crazy, sh- sorry, the crazy shit that's in my head. Sorry, I don't know if you. Edit. No, we allow. Yeah. Okay. You can say anything that's, you that's want. A title. Okay. <clears throat> so then edit the fucked up crazy shit that's in my head. And it's basically going to those dark places. I teach a class on how to program Raspberry Pis, which aren't the you know the eating kind of pies, okay. but they're small microcomputers that you can feed inputs into and have it do things. So it's like I made a uh, a, a motion sensor hooked up to a shocking unit, so that whenever you moved, it shocked you. Um, I have another one where I have a I put an else a touch screen on the outside of the scene on a cage and people can come up and adjust parameters of the scene like the level of shock now i'm still doing the shocking but they can turn it up or turn it down turn on different features of the scene so it allows the outside people to control the scene in a way that i can also control so there's a lot of different things that we can teach and be creative i'm not a huge rope or flogger person although i do know how to do them but i let other people teach that so there's there's a lot that people can learn in a lot of different ways. I kind of approach it as a, a techie a kinkster because I'm a techie. I like to do these kind of things. And I know that's not everybody's skill set. So 
that's just kind of what I teach. Wow. You're a busy guy, which makes me appreciate you all the more coming onto the podcast and telling us about what you do. Yeah. And also uh, what amazes me is that you offer these classes for free. So one thing I wanted to ask you is like, where does that passion come from? Like, what is your, what motivates you to do these workshops and presentations for like almost for no cost? So full disclosure, like the, the the event this weekend, if you count all the stuff that I had to do to get people there, it roughly cost me about $1,500 if we're wow. talking hotel rooms, rental cars, airfare, yeah. everything to get there. The event does compensate me slightly by giving me uh, two free entries, but I had multiple people, so they I have to buy entries for them as well. The thing that drives me to do it, though, and the reason that I'm, I'm willing to spend my own money and time to teach it really um, heralds back to that whole my parents throwing me out thing mm -hmm. because the BDSM community, at least around here, if I go to my local convention, I will have individuals walk up to me, put their hands on my shoulders and say, Jake, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you've become. You are doing a wonderful job. So in some ways, the BDSM community has been my family. They have been supporting me. Whereas, you know, if I told my fo if my parents what I had done this weekend, even though I was, this is one of the premier BDSM conventions in the country that I just taught at as a featured presenter, like this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. This is one of the big conventions. They would not approve of what I just did. They'd think it's wrong. It's bad. Even if they're not going to kick me out this time, they still would not approve. Versus if I walk up to a kingster and say, I just taught at DomCon. Like, you got to teach at DomCon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh my God, that is so amazing. So for me, what drives me is because the BDSM community has been there for me, has helped me in such in this large way. It's my way of giving back to the community. I donate all my time, all my money in order to improve this community that has given me so much and given me a sense of family. What do you have to say oh, to people? Very who's... tender about it, Ben. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, what do you have sorry. to say to people who call you abnormal? That this is something deviant or it's sick. You know what I mean? What do you have to uh, tell those people? That this isn't the lifestyle for you. The, we like to say, I mean, this isn't, this, this lifestyle is not for everyone. Some people just literally are not biologically wired to like this kind of thing. And that is perfectly fine. I will respect your decision to have you know, missionary sex or whatever the heck you want to do. Just let me do my thing as long as with the caveat that I'm not hurting anyone that doesn't want it. If I'm doing that, just leave me alone. I'm not trying, I'm not coming for your, your people, your children. We're not trying to move forward in that way. Just let us live our life because mm -hmm. what we do isn't hurting anyone in any way that they don't want. Is there anything that you wouldn't do? Is there anything that you can share that's on your limit list? I do have a handful of things that I don't do. It, it's really, really small. And actually, some of them have been have been pushed over the years, stuff that I never thought I would do. Like, uh, for example, anal sex, I had never I had never experienced it. And I admit, I would probably had the straight guy taboo about it. Like, uh, that's an exit only. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I got thrust into it for lack of a better word. And it wasn't, wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. um, I've done it a few times since then. As far as pretty much the only things I've got, there, there's, they're, they're all banned at my local club anyway, so it's never going to happen. It's oh, uh, Do tell. <laughs> so <laughs> the first one that we have is scat play or playing with poop because mm -hmm. I'm just not into that mm -hmm. and stinks and whatever. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, people who enjoy it, whatever, if that's your mm -hmm. thing, go right ahead. Mm -hmm. It's just not for me. Uh, rainbow play, which is playing with vomit. 
just for very similar reasons. Oh, is I, that what you call it? I didn't know that. I didn't know that too. Oh. Wow. Okay. It, it's, um, yeah. And the third one is playing with needles or blood, which um, is a funny story because my partner is a needle top. She loves playing with needles and, and blood. She told me a story the other day where I, I, she went to the club without me on one particular day. I wasn't feeling it. And she poked who she calls someone she calls the British guy. And she caused him to bleed so much that his underwear was bright red. It was white when they started and it was completely red at the end. And she was like, she was loving it. She's playing in the blood and just like, Oh my God, I had so much fun. And I'm like, I'm glad you had fun, honey. Um, <laughs> More okay, power I'm going to you. To bed now. <laughs> yeah, like I'm glad that wasn't me. <laughs> the needle for me, though, I think stemmed from when I was in uh, South America, and I'd come back every summer and, and Christmas to a tray of inoculations I'd have to get to go down there. So I'd get like six or seven shots at a time, and uh, it was a little. I think that's where it comes from. She has stabbed me with a needle or two since since we started dating. And uh, I got stabbed and was just like, oh, okay, nope, 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 too too bad, nope, nope, go stab someone else. <laughs> <laughs> not for you. Uh, anything else, I'm pretty much open to negotiation as long as it's not harming children or animals or anything like that. I'm, I'm usually pretty okay with it. I'm willing to try anything once, but uh, there are some people who, who literally do have very hardcore restrictions on what you can do, and, and I respect that. So Live and let live. Do you have like certain things that you reserve only for? I love how in the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned like there is a difference between someone I love and someone that, you know, I that engage with, with and, and uh, yeah, play with. So what are things that things do you save for your partner and what things are like, you know, open for play? In my current relationship, the only thing that we reserve is straight on penetrative sex. That's the only thing that we do not allow each other to do with anyone else. Or rather, I over the years, I've dated people who are poly, so I am actually okay with her doing it. She's just not okay with me doing it. And that's fine. I respect that. I'm not going to compromise my relationship over something like that. Mm. In other situations, it, there, there are some people who reserve certain types of play. Like, for example, if I'm playing with somebody's slave, for example, I am not going to take on the role of their master for the course of the weekend. Uh, one of the people that I played with just this weekend uh, with the chastity thing, their master could not attend um, the event. It was a vaccinated only event and he was not vaccinated. So he was not allowed to attend, but she could. So she came to the event and I did not want to replace her master over the course of the weekend, but I tried to do the best I possibly could without crossing into get on your knees slave or anything of that nature. I was trying to be dominant without being her master because that's not I don't want to inject myself into her relationship. I'm very glad that they're having they're having their fun. Some other relationships uh, things in usually it involves more the romantic side. Mm-hmm. So for example, I've had partners who like, well, I don't want you to kiss me. Because that's what something I reserve for my partner. I, I don't want a lot of do, uh, bottoms may just keep their underwear on for the scene, just the lower part anyway. Mm-hmm. And like you know, you're not allowed to touch me down there. That's my partner's thing. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Like I completely understand that. But that's why we have negotiations. Like where can I touch and not touch? What can I do to you and not do to you? And then even like uh, pet words, so calling someone honey or darling or or kitten or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They may have certain words with their dominance or their their partner that they use, and I should not go anywhere near that because I'm not trying to replace that. I'm just 
trying to augment that, give them a little fun, do something that they weren't, that they don't do in their normal relationship. Like your curriculum alone, like just with, uh, I had questions about like, what would squirrel play? Is there a real squirrel involved? <laughs> that type of situation. It's like, it's practically yeah. like an open, yeah, you could actually do anything with somebody that, you know, consents to it, right? Which is exciting. Correct. And and no, squirrel play does not involve real squirrels, <laughs> thankfully. Um, I, less than, We're not less judging. Than, <laughs> less than three meters from me, I do have my squirrel costume. It's out, out in my garage. It's a giant full-size tail that is full-size for a human. It's got ears. It's got paws. It's got feet. There, there is a type of play in the community called pet play, which squirrel play is a part of that. And what it is, the it is basically the abdication of responsibility. You take on the role of whatever you're looking for. So take puppy play because that's the more popular one anyway. You don't necessarily even have to don a dog mask or, or anything like that, but you typically get on all fours. You bark like a dog. You chew on squeaky toys. You sniff butt whatever you might want to do. The, the idea is, is that you can take a vacation from your own life and become something where you are in the moment. You are focused on that chew toy. You are focused on playing roughhousing with people. When I'm a squirrel, I'm devious. I uh, sometimes will go to, to our local pet store and buy a bunch of dog toys and then run out to the puppy area and just scatter them and just watch the chaos ensue as I run away. It's not something I would normally do or I hop in the puppy pit and let them tackle me and they they cover they get all over me and tackle me and it in essence it, it's a, again it's a way to have a vacation it's a way to relax not to realize that so you don't have your job you know you don't have that big project coming up you don't have to you're not thinking about the kids you're not thinking about money or anything like that you're just focused on the one thing at that time and it's a much better escape from reality than anything else mm-hmm. cool. COVID permitting, Jake, would you ever visit the Philippines and try to, you know, teach the 18,000 who would probably or more who would probably be interested to, you know, listen to what you have to say and meet you? Is that a, a, a possibility for you um, to yeah, of course. expand your reach I, to because you've taught in North America, right? U.S. and Canada. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I know this is an audio podcast, but on you can't see it very well, but I do have the U.S. flag and the Canadian flag here. So the countries that I've taught physically in, I, I put them on my vest to, to demonstrate those particular countries. I have traveled to Germany just to attend events. I've been to uh, England to attend events. I have no problem traveling to any country to teach as long as there's a venue that I can teach at. Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't just stand on a street corner and go, yeah. hey, BDSM, come check it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I was going to go to Australia and teach. Ooh, Maybe not right. Maybe not right now, but that's no. relatively <laughs> close-ish. <laughs> yeah, I, I am more than willing to teach anywhere just because I want to make more of myself and different countries and different places have different ways of doing things. Uh, Germany was very, very different than the United States. Germany was a lot more hardcore than I would than think the so. <laughs> England was a little more lax in some cases. They were pretty relaxed on a lot of things. So it's it's just interesting to go and see the different types of play and even different areas in the United States have different focuses as far as what people are, are doing and playing. I know like the Northeast is very rope heavy. Um, down here, we're very flaw, uh, we're very um, top and bottom master leather culture heavy. And in uh, California, they're a lot more free spirited. So 
it really depends on where you go. And it, it's just interesting to meet gangsters and, and spread knowledge to people who want to learn it. So yes, I would travel to the Philippines if I could. <laughs> I was going to close the interview now because I know we've taken a lot of your time, but I couldn't resist it. And I don't want to play into stereotypes, but have you ever played with any Filipinos or Asians? Are they a lot more coy than from other nationalities? I have played with Asians before. We have a number of them in our community. I, some of them scare the heck out of me. Others are, are really, really lovely. <laughs> Um, and scare the heck out of me in a good way because it really depends on their personality. I don't care what nationality people are from as long as, you know, as long as we can compromise on whatever type of play we're going to do and, and the, and the dynamic we're going to have, that's perfectly fine by me. So I haven't noticed anything particular. Typically there is that stereotype of like Asian women being very submissive in general. Mm -hmm. I do see that a little bit, but then there's also someone like, well, Midori would be a good example who has very Asian features and she is a terrifying woman, terrifying mm -hmm. uh, in a good way. But, you know, so it really just depends on the personality of the individual. And the Japanese and also, are pretty out there, right? Mm -hmm. If you talk yeah. about their poor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, um, a lot of the stuff like, uh, like Shibari is very much something that came out of Japan and kind of moved here. That. Shibari technically means tied up naked Japanese woman or mm -hmm. well, tied up Japanese woman, not necessarily naked. But so it, it's, we, some of the rope people around here laugh a little bit and say, yeah, I want to get in Shibari. And it's like, well, where's your Japanese woman? You need you need one They're like oh so we're doing rope work or or something like that because <laughs> it's um, an art form in japan right so they're very intricate yeah yeah there are entire communities built around rope and you uh, i know that some of our more experienced rope people have gone for two-year intensives in japan where they've studied nothing but how to tie rope and how to do it beautifully and then they come back and teach us and it's like oh that is so amazing i'm so jealous that you got to have that kind of an experience so japanese culture has been very much repressed so we it's kind of like they, they were repressed for so long and now they're just exploding going the opposite direction well some people say it's like a spring they got compressed and now they explode exploded and yeah. they have to so now yeah everything from tentacle porn which is in their mythology the, the, yeah the, mm -hmm. um and things of that nature. So yeah, there it's a very different, different culture for sure. Yeah. It's so fascinating. It like is. This, this, uh, it's it's like one of those things like you think you know, and then there are things that you don't know. And you know, I we I still haven't is there a difference between um BDSM and fetish? Like because they seem to be over some interplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but do you is there a difference between uh, fetish and uh, BDSM for you, uh, Switch Shake? So a uh, fetish is more colloquially defined as just something you enjoy, something that gets you off, something that turns you on, whatever you want to call it, versus BDSM is more the encompassing of, again, the power exchange relationship. So you could have, say, a foot fetish in bed. That just means that you want to, you know, suck on your partner's toes or have your toes sucked on, let's just say. Mm. And then you're going to have sex. And that doesn't necessarily imply any kind of dominance or submission. It just means that's something that you like in bed or or otherwise. Uh, you may have a fetish for, say, Asian women or, you know, Filipino men, who knows, mm. whatever it is that, that you're into. But that there's no power dynamic there. It just means that that's what you like you enjoy, versus, yeah. yeah, versus BDSM, which is more taking those fetishes and then incorporating a power dynamic where it's, I'm going to make you submit to these things and do them to you or have you do them to me or whatever the case might be. So what would be one thing, like if we're wrapping up, what would be one thing that you want to get out there about BDSM? 
ESM that uh, you you feel like people should know? And it might not be one thing. It could be like several things. But what's what are some things that you would like people to know about BDSM? Well, we have two. Dis- well, there's really three distinct styles, but two main ones. We have something called SSC, which was or Sierra Sierra Charlie, which is, stands for safe, sane, and consensual. Mm-hmm. What that basically means is that within the context of BDSM, we understand the risks that we're doing. We do our very best to make it as safe as we possibly can. So we take all the precautions. We get educated on what it is that we're doing. It's sane, meaning that we're not crazy people and we have taken this time. And the most important letter, C, consensual, Mm. that both people or more have all consented to whatever is being done in a scene. The other one that we have is RAC, which stands for risk-aware consensual kink, which is a little bit more on the extreme side. That's the the style that I prefer, which basically means that I understand what it is I'm doing and I Mm. assume the risks of what I'm doing. I know I know that what I'm doing is dangerous and I will do everything I can to make it safe, but I do understand that there's some risk involved and that's fine. It's perfectly Mm -hmm. acceptable. The thing that a lot of vanillas do not understand is very much the C part of either of those acronyms, the consensual part. A lot of people, including again, my own mother, assume that what I'm doing is basically hitting people that don't want to be hit. Mm-hmm. That I am literally grabbing someone off the street, dragging them, tying them up, doing horrible things to them, and then sending them home. And you know, and I'm damaging people. And what they don't understand is is that a lot of what we do is a very cathartic release. For example, a flogging scene, just from a medical context, the act of impact, which has been used in religion before. This is not a a new thing. Cathartic flogging was done by monks, for example. And nobody has any problem with that. Or, well, maybe they do. But um, (laughs) the hitting causes endorphins to release, which causes stress reduction, which causes a whole ton of wonderful benefits. It causes you to be able to relax and, in essence, get similar effects to copious amounts of alcohol, where you can kind of forget about your problems for a little while. But it doesn't come with the negative side effects that alcohol has or drugs or things of that nature. It's a completely natural high that allows you to relax and allows you to get back to a sense of normalcy to work through things. Personally, for me, I have been considered to be an emotional robot that I just do not have emotions. I am very logical. Some people call me Spock because (laughs) I, I, I am very much just a very logical person. But what ends up happening is trauma, sadness, and things of that nature, They, to me, they get built up behind a dam. So think of it as a giant dam just holding that all back. Mm-hmm. Now, the dam just keeps growing, but the water is still there and it's mm-hmm. always there. So for me, for example, somebody takes a single tail, which think of it as a whip. They take a whip and they start hitting me. Every hit breaks, puts a crack in that dam. And after a few hits, there'll be a crack. It'll explode and all that just comes gushing out. And I will break down on whatever I'm on. I'm usually on a cross, which is a, a giant X that people can restrain you to. I will collapse. I will start weeping. And it's not from the pain of the single tail. I mean, that hurts. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But suddenly all this comes out and I lay on the floor weeping and crying. The top then stops what they're doing. They come over, they comfort me. Suddenly all of this weight has been lifted from my shoulders and I stand up a stronger, better person in the end of it. Wow! I could not do that in any other way that I can think of. Alcohol will only hide that fact. Mm-hmm. It will only camouflage it for a short amount of time. 
drugs will turn me into a zombie of just gray where I'm just like blah all the time. This allows me to work through those things. It's either that or therapy and uh, this is cheaper. So <laughs> I, uh, I prefer a good beating to, to alleviate those issues. And, <laughs> and in a similar vein, like I said, with all the control aspects of my life that I have to control everything, having the ability to submit for even a short amount of time allows me to relax and sometimes just get out of my head for a little while. Even right now, I've got a to-do list right over here next to me. I've got three other, I've got things every night this week. I mean, you guys were the only one tonight, but I, I have things I have to do for even non-kinky things that are going through my head even now. And so if I am restrained and tied up and having a scene, I can focus on the moment and just relax and be like, okay. The world has faded away and I can do what I need to do. So for any vanillas listening, it's a good thing. It may not be your thing. Mm-hmm. It may not be what you enjoy. You may find it distasteful, but it keeps me sane. It keeps a lot of people happy and healthy. And it's as long as it's consensual, there's no harm being done to any of these people, especially since we use things like safe words. In the case of dungeons, we have dungeon monitors that stop things. We do our absolute best to keep everyone safe and make everyone happy. Wow. Almost like a spiritual experience, wouldn't you think? (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. So my last question, you practically answered a half of it, but in your profile, you clearly said, I'd say rather lovingly stated that you are grateful to everything that the BDSM community has given you and that you are looking forward to the years ahead. What are you looking forward to? Um, are you going to be doing this, you think, for the rest of your life when you're old and gray? <laughs> well, we jokingly talk about this in the Dungeons of the Future class because it's like when I retire at some point, there are nursing homes out there for every type of people. There are nursing homes out there for pilots where they have their own private airspace and airfield. And they can fly their planes. There for There's for artists. There are for music. Well, for musicians, that's artists. You can look and find horseback riding. I mean, whatever you want, you can find somewhere. My goal is to eventually retire to a kinky retirement home where the kids have to go home by 6 p.m. And then the night is is going to be fun. And, you know, granny can walk around in her leather and whatnot. I don't ever intend to stop this lifestyle. As far as years ahead, though, when I came in this community, I was a nobody. I was just some mousy little boy sitting at a at a table. Then I became a submissive. Then I became a switch. Then I became a presenter. Then I became an event organizer. organizer. Then now I'm running a national convention and possibly another one soon. Mm-hmm. And I, the BDSM community has given me a lot of skills that I can then apply to another one. Like I am about to take over another event that is not kink related, but all of the skills I've learned from running kink events apply aside from where to get dungeon equipment to this event as well. And so all of these things have made me one, a better employee in general. I have better project management. I can manage a large, large number of people. So in management roles, that has helped me. I'm able to run events, even non-kink ones. I have a tremendous amount of respect in the community, which I think is is a good thing. And everybody knows me and maybe to a fault, I can go to a munch around here sometimes and walk in and they treat me like royalty. And I, in my head go, and who are you? I don't know you. Um, but everyone's like, switch Jake. Like, oh, hi. We'll be one of those people in the future. Yes. I do want to attend one of those months. I am interested. Yeah. And maybe you can put up that nursing home. Yeah. that's <laughs> Yeah. That's... You can be activities director or whatever. All right. Switch Jake. Um, would you like to invite all our listeners? There might be Filipinos in Denver or Colorado or in the U.S. where you're going to go out and speak. Of course. 
If you're if you're interested in checking out my podcast, the website is kinkinthechain.com. I, I am there under the pseudonym of Rope Squirrel, as was said in the intro. For there's a reason for that. Things that I say as Rope Squirrel do not necessarily indicate things that Switch Jake is saying. Okay. Usually they're the same thing, but I can, there's a little bit of plausible deniability of like, no, Rope <laughs> Squirrel said that, Switch Jake did not. Don't hold me responsible for that. <laughs> You're, yeah. I mean, right now I'm speaking to you as Switch Jake. So yes, and you, you can check us out there if you have questions. You can also check me out at switchjake.com. That redirects to my website and has all my classes. If you're in the US, uh, you can check me out on Fat Life. I'm also Switch Jake on there, and you'll see all the classes and uh, events I'm attending at any any one point. Uh, my next one, I believe, should be Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I might be teaching another one in um, December, but that's not been decided yet. So don't hold me to that. I'm working <laughs> on that. So yeah, and if you're ever, and you can hit me up on Twitter, any of these places. Is, I believe me, I am ridiculously easy to contact. So just very easy. <laughs> very easy. All right, Switch Jake, thank you very much. And if I thank wanted you. to say to you, your mother should be so proud. Your mother I should be so proud. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank Ooh, you I again. Hope you come to the East Coast <laughs> <soon>. Of course. <laughs> Yeah. And thank you very much, Maury, for joining uh, joining me on this project. And this will definitely not be the last. <laughs> Naka record oh, ka kanina. <laughs> so that's a, thank you for the contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nakafirma ka na sa kontrata. So for those of you, if you enjoy this episode, we have other episodes in our Usapang Sex series where we try to just normalize conversations about sex. We also have episodes about mental health. We also have episodes about non traditional relationships. So just click away. If you want to tell us what you think and if you have any suggestions for us, you can email us at balutkiki at gmail.com or feel free to visit our website. That's www.balutkiki.com and we are on social media as well and you know how to get to that. All right. We'll see you again, Maury, until the next episode. Yes. Thank you again for having me and hope to uh, hear from you soon. Planuhin na natin next episode. This is another episode done and dusted. Bye, Zs. Bye. You have just been served. This has been the Balut Kiki Project. Uniquely Pinoy. Unapologetically queer. We are now declaring this project complete. Are we off air yet? Because these hills are killing me. Thank you for clicking play. Don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And leave us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the show.